Welcome back to Faith Radio Mornings. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Kapsner, and delighted to be joined on the line by Jonathan Hyde, who is a Thomas Cooley Professor of Ethical Leadership Leadership at New York University Stern School of Business. And Professor Hyde is a social psychologist, studies morality and just how we enter into how we think about things and the role that university has in shaping our young people's minds. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so you released a book here recently called The Coddling of the American Mind. I highly recommend it to our listeners to to get a hold of it because it does really explore some of the shifts that have happened over the last 5, 10, even 15 years in education, especially at the upper levels. And I know, I don't know about you, but when I was at university in the 1990s, there really was an open exploration of ideas. It just felt like we would look at both sides and critically analyze them. Things have really shifted over the last maybe decade or so, haven't they? Yes, that's right. When you talk to students, uh, when you talk to talk to them and find out what is it like to be in class, what is it like to have a conversation, the the mood you get, the feel, the stories you get are that they are much more defensive, they are much more afraid of speaking up, and we can't really blame them. What's happened is they're growing up in a minefield that is one false word, one word that somebody else doesn't like, and they can be called out for it on social media. So it ends up making them, uh, it changes the way they speak. It robs them of, of the opportunity to be open, to, to have the sense of being a kid in a candy shop. And then it's rippling through uh, a lot of other aspects of university life and then out into the workplace. Well, and some of what you explore in the book as well in terms of the way classrooms are arranged these days is that there really is this accommodation for the idea that somebody might be traumatized by even exploring or being exposed to another idea in the classroom. So talk us through what we're seeing there. Sure. So the book is based on three really, really bad ideas. Um, my, so my co-author, Greg Lukianoff, is the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. And he began noticing around 2013 or so that some students were showing the exact same cognitive distortions that he had learned to not do when he uh, learned how to do cognitive behavioral therapy. So he was seeing students doing things like catastrophizing, black and white thinking, mind reading, all these colorful names for cognitive distortions that people do, especially when they're depressed and anxious. And around 2013, Greg started seeing students saying, oh, my, if this if this novel is is assigned and it has stories of violence or racism or rape in it, well, this will be traumatizing. We, we can't have that. We need a warning. Um, so students were acting as though they were in danger. That's what's new. Students have always been political. Students have protested. But the new element here is the idea coming from students that words or visiting speakers uh, will harm them or damage them or traumatize them. And that makes their appeals for protection more powerful because what adult can say no when a, when a, when a student or child says, please keep me safe? I'd be curious your take, too, as you've done the research and study on this, is what has led to the elevation of ideas as being conceived of as always dangerous if we disagree? I, I know, John, that I spent some time at the University of Edinburgh doing some teaching there, and, and the students, I was actually really pleasantly surprised and even uh, really impacted by it, that they had studied debate all the way through their education system, and they recognized that debate was just to explore different ideas. It wasn't necessarily to win an argument or to, or to oppress the other person, so they were able to balance the, and it balanced way to discuss ideas. What's been different in American culture over the last maybe 5, 10, 15 years that's led to the idea that an alternate idea is ultimately dangerous at every level? 
Yeah. So I think the story of the princess and the pea is very useful to remember. Uh, the princess finds it intolerable to sleep on a mattress when there is a pea 20 mattresses down uh, because, you know, as a princess, we presume she has been uh, overprotected and given perfect beds her whole life. In some ways, we've been doing that to our kids. So um, until the late 1980s or early 1990s, it was almost universally the case that when kids came home from school, they went out and played and there was no adult supervising them. While they were out playing, some kid would say, you're a stupid idiot or you're ugly or something like that. Kids tease each other. Kids are sometimes mean and kids had to learn to deal with it. And that's part of growing up. You have to experience thousands and thousands of conflicts and negative experiences in order to become a normally functioning person who can go out into the work world and maybe a coworker says something mean about you. But beginning in the 1980s, we began to overprotect our kids, in part from reports of kidnappings that are extremely rare, but boy, did cable TV put them in our faces in the 1980s. Also because of declining family size and rising wealth. When you have a lot of kids and a lot of economic pressure, you're not supervising all the kids all the time. But as Americans especially got wealthier and had fewer children, we began supervising the kids all the time and protecting them from kidnappers and pushing them to study so that they get into a good college in a whole variety of ways. Here's the big shift. Anybody listening to this program over 40, if I ask, how old were you when you could go out on your own, walk six blocks to a friend's house or a corner store? The answer is almost universally seven or eight, um, sometimes as late as nine. I, I'm, I'm speaking here at Case Western Reserve in Cleveland uh, right now, or last night, and I asked the audience, the students, how old were you when you could go out? The answers range generally from 13 to 15. Mm. We don't let our kids out. We don't let them practice independence. Then they go off to college, and then they experience something unpleasant, a book that challenges their idea, a speaker whose ideas they hate, and it's like the princess and the pea. They haven't gotten used to it. It's intolerably painful to some of them. Again, not most. But many students are acting this way, and that forces everyone else to adapt. Well, it's a powerful example. And to your point, I'm 47 years old, and I know that we are starting to ride up to stores to get my boxes of baseball cards, maybe when I was six, seven, eight years old. And there really wasn't a second thought given to it. But this this sort of overprotective environment really has shaped a lot of how we think about things. Well, Jonathan, we've got to take a short break. When we come back, I would love to explore what I think you have some helpful ideas that we, we maybe are trying to relieve the anxiety with our kids by sheltering them from ideas, but it's actually in exploring these ideas that ultimately relieve the anxiety. So more to come with Jonathan Haidt of New York University's Stern School of Business, and the book is The Coddling of the American Mind. I highly recommend going to Amazon or some other channel and picking this book up. It really does help us understand what's going on with our kids today. Welcome back to Faith Radio Mornings. This is Dr. Peter Kapsner, and delighted to be joined on the line by Professor Jonathan Haidt of the New York University Stern School of Business. So, social psychologist examines so much of the foundation of morality in our country, and we're seeing that in our universities these days, and released a book you did, Jonathan, called The uh, Coddling of the American Mind. And I was talking during the break with Logan Rausch, our producer here. He's 22 years old, and he was making reference to the fact that they rarely explored controversial ideas even in high school. There was one English teacher he had that would have the students stand up in the room and then would make a controversial statement and the students actually had to go to one side of the room or the other based on whether they agreed or disagreed and it felt almost scandalous these days to even explore that kind of idea so this is happening even at younger ages than than university life 
That's right. We're seeing a, a pervasive idea that kids should not be put in unpleasant or frightening situations. Now, of course, they shouldn't be made to fear for their lives. But, you know, situations in life become less frightening as you get used to them. Uh, last month, there was a, 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 some articles in the newspaper about movements among high school students to uh, to eliminate requirements for public speaking because some kids have anxiety problems and it is uh, anxiety provoking to speak in front of an audience. And so should we accommodate that and say, therefore, let's cancel the requirement? Or should we say, we'll give you extra training, we'll give you extra help to learn how to cope with the anxiety? Um, the subtitle of the book really is what the book is about. It is how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure by trying to help our kids to avoid unpleasant and even frightening situations, in the long run, we hurt them. Well, and I think as professors and as as parents, and we sort of have this natural inclination to want to protect our young people. But at the end of the day, one of the premises that you're suggest suggesting, it isn't through sheltering them from the ideas. It actually is walking through the ideas that help relieve the anxiety. And it's, it's a fascinating counterintuitive argument. Well, that's right. I, there's uh, two phrases I've heard from, from parents that I find very helpful and powerful. One is that the job of a parent is to work him or herself out of a job. And parents used to do that pretty well. And now kids really stay in touch and depend on their parents through college and often move back home after college. Another phrase, which became the um, one of the dedicate one of the quotations we opened the book with is prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. Mm. And, you know, technology and, and various methods allow allow us the illusion that we can keep our kids safe, that we can change the road, change the environment for our kids. But we can't especially now that there's the internet. Well, and I think, uh, too, as we're talking about the sheltering idea and the rise of anxiety, you have some pretty important stats, and I think we've seen it on the rise of anxiety and suicide among our young people as a result. Well, that's right. That's why, you know, I try to be, I try to not say, you know, panic, run for the hills, it's an emergency. <laughs> um, and, you know, on most college campuses, it's not an emergency. It's not like the students are screaming and, and yelling and that, that nobody can come speak there that they don't like. But the reason why I think there is a kind of an emergency that we all need to understand and, and do something about is that the statistics on depression and anxiety are stunning and terrifying. Um, uh, and even all the way out to suicide. So I'll just give you some stats here. So there are a lot of there are several studies now that have shown that uh, it, when just when you ask people to report their symptoms, beginning around 2011 or 2012, American teenagers begin to go way up in their symptoms of anxiety and depression. It, it's very steady before 2011, and then suddenly it starts going up, and it's much more so for girls, much higher for girls. Now some people say, oh well, this is just self-report. The kids these days, they like to talk about depression. They're very comfortable with it. It's, it's nothing real, but it is real. And we know that because studies of hospital admission data, when you look at teenagers, how many teenagers are sent, are, are in, admitted to a hospital because they cut their bodies with something sharp or they took poison, uh, those are way up for girls, not up, up much for boys, but way up for girls. And then most frighteningly, suicide, the rate, the suicide rate for the last couple of years, if you compare it to the rate in the first 10 years of this century, the rate for boys is up 25%, which is gigantic. The rate for girls, the teenage girls' suicide rate in this country is up 70%, 7-0. So there is an emergency. Everyone out there who has kids, if your kids aren't anxious or depressed, 
Ask them about their friends. Everybody knows people who are facing this. It is it is an epidemic. We talk about it often with our kids, Jonathan, and I appreciate you bringing out the statistics because I know that as a professor, it was maybe in 05, 06, 07, and in the 10, 11, I had maybe one or two students that would report that they struggled with anxiety. And now if I ask for a show of hands in my classroom, it's probably 29 out of 30, 49 out of 50. Almost all of my young people are identifying that, yeah, I have a pretty debilitating anxiety issue right now. That's right. And, and, and the humanitarian cost of this is, is the amount of suffering um, is, is just it boggles the mind. So we've got to do something. Clearly, what we're doing something that is preventing our kids from developing the normal toughness, the normal resilience, the normal ability to deal with setbacks and frustrations of everyday life. And especially the, the well, let's call them the threats of the Internet. But that is those are words. Those are words. As the world has gotten physically safer, the Internet has gotten full of bad words, bad sentiments, insults, racist claims, sexist claims. And we have to get our kids to the point where they can live in a world that is physically extremely safe, but they're surrounded by an Internet that's full of bad words and ideas. Jonathan, we have just about 30 seconds left or so, and I'd love to have you back on to talk about how we can help carve out pathways forward for, for health and wholeness in this. But do you have a quick tip for a parent, uh, at least some things to explore with their kids if they're struggling with anxiety on these levels? Absolutely. Uh, the first thing is go to letgrow.org, uh, an organization that will give you all kinds of ideas for how to raise stronger, better kids, especially how to give them more freedom to become more independent. Uh, and then learn about cognitive behavioral therapy. It's very easy to do. It's something your kids can learn to do. The whole family can learn to do. It helps you think better. The book is The Coddling of the American Mind. Again, uh, we'll highlight it on our Facebook page here at Faith Radio Mornings. You can go to Amazon.com, the usual channels, and pick up this book. Again, a really helpful look at the ongoing development of anxiety and what's happening with our young people. So thanks so much for joining us this morning, Jonathan. It's very insightful for our audience. Thank you, Peter. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show for the day and for the week here on Faith Radio Mornings. I know as a host of the show here on Faith Radio Mornings, that was a really fun second hour to have Adam Holtz join us and talk so eloquently and articulately about popular culture and media and give us some good insight as parents and grandparents and just in our lives in general about the kinds of things we can expect in the movies. And then, boy, Jonathan Haidt from New York University to, to walk us through in this coddling of the American mind some of the legitimate changes that have happened over the last 10, 15 years that can help explain so much of what we see in the headlines and, and what's going on with the political rancor of the day. So really appreciative of those two guests. Appreciative of you as listeners joining us each week. Love hearing from you. Love interacting with you as we walk out the story of faith together. Neither a Democrat nor Republican. We really are trying to be citizens of the kingdom, looking at these things from all sides of the issue. Love being part of it with you. And remember, we are part of a living kingdom with a living king, Jesus Christ.